All right, Malachi chapter 2 tonight. Take your Bibles and turn there. We'll begin our reading tonight in verse number 10. And the thought really continues to verse number 16, where we'll finish our reading. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, the Bible says, Have we not all one Father? And hath not one God created us? And so the idea is, well, since that's true, since that's true, why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother? By profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah hath dealt treacherously, and that's a key word in our text tonight. Judah hath dealt treacherously, and abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. And the Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, and the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offered the offerings of the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, and with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. And yet ye say, Wherefore? You know, how have we dealt treacherously? Have we, have we committed abomination? They want more specific instruction. And the Lord says, Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast, forgive me, hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant? And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. And wherefore one? Or why did God put a man and a wife together in a godly marriage? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. We, we could put the word divorce there. He hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, said the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. Our Holy Father, I pray for your help in the next few moments as we, we look into your word. Uh, Lord, this is an important subject. Lord, I know it was in this time, or it certainly continues to be in our time. Lord, I pray we'd handle this subject properly tonight and with sensitivity. And Lord, most of all, may we honor your intent in being the people that you intend us to be. And I ask for your help with this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for standing. The prophet Malachi, again, in just very brief review, was one of really three men who preached in what we call the post-exile community. For their sins, uh, Judah had been taken away captive to Babylon. Um, much earlier, 100 years earlier than that, Israel was taken away into captivity by Assyria. And these nations, these really brother nations, split uh, after the days of Rehoboam, um, had been sinning against God for a long time, Israel more than Judah. And these sins led them into captivity. After seven years, they come back. Now, for some time, they've been back. And um, the temple has, for the most part, it'd be a continual process, but the temple, for the most part, is functional. It's operational. Underneath the, under the leadership of Nehemiah, the wall has been primarily built. We're not really sure exactly when Malachi would have spoken. It could have been in, he could have been a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, he could have been as far as 100 years after that. We don't know. There's not really a date marker in the text. Um, scholars are divided. It doesn't really matter. We know the overall tenor of the time in the community. Um, the people had come back. They were kind of disappointed in not finding the millennial kingdom delivered. And, and now they're, they're living somewhat tepidly, without a lot of passion. And they're even beginning to a degree to, to fall back into the very sins for which their parents and grandparents were punished by being taken away to Babylon. Um, the audience he was speaking to had returned from captivity, so they, they had lessons that they should have known. Their sins and reasons for going to captivity um, were recorded for them. The, the, the prophet Jeremiah, you know, articulated all these sins for them in his day. The other minor prophets, before they went into captivity, spoke out against these things. Uh, Nehemiah uh, certainly addressed some of the 
social sins of his day. And Ezra really initiated somewhat of a revival through his preaching and teaching. And so these people knew better. But as the text later says, they weren't really laying it to heart. They weren't considering their spirit. They, they really weren't giving great attention to the way they were living. And so the people of Malachi's day were living with varying degrees of repentance and yet being stubborn in their ways. In Malachi's day, he's still trying to correct these people, to, to bring them into alignment with the covenant. And the covenant is a word that we've, we've said dozens and dozens of times in our study. The covenant was this agreement between God and His people going back to the days of Abraham and back to the days of Moses. There's, there's numerous covenants. But the big idea was this uh, in the book of Deuteronomy and Exodus is that I will be your God if you will be my people. And, and, and your obligation is to, to love me and to serve me and to obey me, to, to Again, be in alignment with my word and what I wish. In return, I'll make you head, not the tail. I'll make you the, the lender, not the borrower. I, I will bless you. And you know, one of your soldiers will chase away ten of the enemy. And, and God promised to, to, to be the covenant partner, the, the perfect, if you will, marriage partner in relation to them. But they continually broke this agreement. Um, they constantly broke the covenant. Um, they, they, they would not reciprocate as God intended uh, to love God the way He loved them. And, and much of the language of the minor prophets is really communicating that. You're breaking the covenant. You're not keeping your part. So both in deed and spirit, uh, Israel and Judah both you know, somewhat returned uh, to this, this area of Jerusalem, um, still struggled. Idolatry had been and was once again becoming a significant problem. I know that's mind-boggling to us that they would uh, go back to idolatry, and yet it was a function a little bit of what they thought was just pragmatism. You know, they thought maybe that Baal could help them out with the rain. Um, it's, it's all the people around them in Canaan were saying. Um, they, were, they were kind of falling into that. Um, they were still struggling to understand that treating each other was a reflection of their heart and attitude for God. And so, they, they, they couldn't quite make that connection. They, they thought, well, if I go to the temple, you know, on Saturdays, I'm good. And if I offer my offerings, I'm good. And I can go out and kind of treat people indifferently or even maliciously. And it's really not that big a deal. And all through the Bible, God's trying to teach them, you know, to love me, you have to love people. But they weren't getting that. So, they, they were still being prejudiced. They, they still were people of violence, extortion, cheating, backbiting. They were still people who were taking advantage of the disenfranchised. This would really continue all the way to the days of Jesus. And, and Jesus harshly addressed this mistreatment of the marginalized of, of society. There was an ongoing significant social problem in the post-exile community. If I was to condense um, all of these behaviors and it's not me, the text is doing this. If I was to condense all these failures of Israel to a word, I, I would use the word tonight, uh, they were being treacherous. Treacherous. Okay, now I, I think that's a word that most of us understand. I, I don't know why we use it a lot. But you know, treacherous is, is a word that we might use when we learn that someone's been treasonous. Does that make sense? Treachery. You know, here was a person who was on our side. But they're not acting like at our side. And they've actually stabbed us in the back. That's treachery. It's someone who made a promise and who broke it. It's someone who made an agreement and is not keeping it. That's treachery. Uh, it, it's someone who's failing to keep a promise. In, in the Bible, that's the idea of treachery here. It, it's the idea of an evil, but it's really the evil of a broken promise, the, the, the evil of a, of a broken pledge. And the result of treachery... Um, in God's mind, is, the, is, is abomination. When you deal treacherously with people, you're creating, in God's mind, an abomination. Now, the word abomination sounds big to us, and it is. And the idea is this. You, you create an uncleanness. You create an impurity. You, you're dragging something in. Um, you know, we talk about the abomination of desolation in the book of Revelation. Here we have the temple, and some guy walks in here, and he declares himself God. That's abomination. You're taking that which is sacred and holy, and you're defiling it. 
Um, you know, if we allowed some things to happen in this, this auditorium, it's just, it's just brick and, and, and mortar stuff. But, you know, we still, we still protect it. And there's things that could be done abominable. We, 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 it's not technically a holy place, but because we are here, it's holy. So we protect it against things that would be abominable. And the people were engaged in practices in their everyday lifestyle, again, in prejudice, hatred, cheating, vileness, and, 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 and all this, and, and pagan idolatry. And they were bringing the filth of the world into their temple worship. And God says, you're dealing treacherously, not just with people, but with me, because you made a promise you would serve me, and serving me means loving people. And your treacherous behavior is abominable to me. It's a defilement of our covenant and our agreement. Um, to get to drive closer to the point of the text, the idea of treacherous and abomination here, um, I'll be direct. So, let's say a man is married and he goes out in the world and he acts as though he's not married. You follow me? And he does that so multiple times. Then he comes back to his home with his spouse, and he acts like none of that ever happened. Okay? But it did happen. That's treacherous. That's a broken promise. That's defilement. You're bringing something in here that is abhorrent. You're, you're, you're not treating the marriage with the sanctity, the holiness, the purity that it deserves. And so it makes the relationship, in a way, impure and unclean. Um, and so that's what God's really getting at in the text. This is how God viewed these post-exile community sins, as worshiping Baal, that's treacherous. Like, you're, you're breaking your promise to me. That's an abomination. The way you're treating widows, the way you're, you're extorting those who have very little money, that's treacherous. The violence between you, the prejudice among you, the, the, the unkindness, the, the lack of grace, the backbiting, you are, you, are, you are wed to me, God's saying. We're in a covenant, and you're not acting like we're in a covenant. You're not acting like you're my people. And, and that's, that's, a, that's abominable. You're going out and extorting your brother, and then you come in here and you present an offering to me, and I'm not going to accept it. Um, you, you go out there and you worship Baal, or you pay some homage to him in some kind of synchronetic worship. You're, you offer that to him, and you come in here, and that's not acceptable to me. That's an abomination of, of the temple that you are and the, and the temple that we, we worship together in. And all this is unacceptable. So, as we look at with that kind of background and in, in getting to that big idea, we look at verse 10. And in Malachi, verse 10 begins a third hypothetical conversation with the community at large and their spirit. Remember, he's not talking to any one person. He's talking really to the priest and to the people in, in the spirit of the age, in the spirit of the culture. Now, he really begins his, his third argument, if you will, with the nation. And, and, and so, he's, he's talking to them, and God asks. Here's this, this first kind of question that, and remember the time God asks a question, these people give some kind of rebuttal and or follow-up question. And so, he starts out with this. He says, um, okay, this, you're Israel, you're, you're Jews for a moment. And he looks at him and says, don't we have, don't we all have one father? Don't, don't we share the same ancestry? No, no, scholars are divided on who the father is referring to. It could be Abraham, or it could be God. The point's the same. Aren't we brothers and sisters? Is what he's asking them. And, and so the idea is this brothers don't treat each other poorly. <laughs> I know when they're little in the home they might, but you get the idea. You're, 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 act, you're not acting like family. This is not the way, and I, I'm talking ideally here, you follow me? Not in the sinful world, I'm talking ideally. This is not the way family acts. Don't we, don't we have one father? You're brothers. This man you're extorting is your brother. The, the way you're treating this, this, your wife, in a way, she's, the point is she's family. She's part of God's family. 
This is not the way God's family is to conduct themselves. Then he goes bigger. Don't we all have one creator? Not only are you brothers and sisters, we share the image and likeness of our creator. We, therefore, we all have the same dignity. We all demand the same respect. We all, we all should be treated with the same courtesy. Don't you understand we are brothers and sisters, and we are made all together in the same image and likeness of God. How can you possibly treat people this way? That's God's point. It's treachery to treat another human being who's made in the image and likeness of God like they were something less than that. You can't treat people with indifference. They're like your brothers. We have the same Father. We have the same Creator. And, and you all need to understand that. Family, brothers, sisters treat each other. They're supposed to, ideally, with respect and courtesy. And as human beings, we're all meeting fellow eternal souls. And how we interact is important. So in 10b, there's this, this last part of Timothy. He makes this connection here that, that we already think understand. And he says, you know, don't we have the same father? Don't we have the same creator? And you're profaning the relationship. And the idea is you're profaning me. Dealing treacherously with one another is an insult to God. Okay, so I want us to really begin to get this quickly and early. If, if uh, me and Brother Gamble have ought, and I'm being mean to him or he's being mean to me, we're dishonoring our Father. It's not just a problem that we're having with each other. is that we may disrespect the one who's asking us to get along. You follow that? He's making this connection. The way we treat other people is tied to the way that we respect or don't respect, respect God. We can't treat each other with contempt and go into the, into the temple like, hey, we're all good with God. All's great. And God's saying, I will not accept that behavior in my house. You can come and you can offer, but I don't expect me to, to receive it. And by not receiving it, I mean this, I'm removing my blessing. I, I'm removing my... my, my, my um, the grace that you would otherwise have. Your treatment of others, please get this, is an estimation of your value for God. That's worthy of consideration. Your treatment of others is a reflection of your estimation of the value of God's voice in your life. His weight. So, verse 11, in anticipation of their stubborn response, which they will give in a moment. I think in verse 14 they actually give it. And the, the nation's willingness to deflect responsibility, Malachi doesn't wait for a reply. He just describes an example, a consequential example, of their current abomination of treachery. And in 11, um, he, he goes on to say, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and hath abomination committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, not proving it, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The men of Judah were marrying, to be just real quick, they were marrying daughters of pagans who worshipped other gods. Okay? In our vernacular. They were marrying unbelievers. That's treachery. To marry an unbeliever in his day it was a treachery against their faith. It was a treachery against their culture. It was a treachery against their covenant. It was an abomination in the sight of God. Because you can't put that which is unclean with unclean. And the marriage is, is especially important here because it's a reflection of a larger relationship with God. And we can't fill the marriage with darkness if we are light, which we'll get to in a moment in the New Testament. For centuries... There had been an understood prohibition against marrying, as we say in the New Testament, of being unequally yoked. The Jewish community knew they were not supposed to marry unbelievers. And if they did, it was consequential in a negative way in their lives. You, the, the Old Testament is filled with men who violated this, this, this agreement, this, this truth. Um, how dark was Ahab's life made by Jezebel. 
And the wisest man who ever lived in Solomon had his heart turned for a period of time because of what the Bible calls foreign and strange women. They actually were able to move this man, the wise man who ever lived, to actually build temples to other gods in the city of Jerusalem. And, and God says, I, I, I don't want that. When you violate a relationship with God, you're violation of social world. And when you violate the social world, you're violating a relationship with God. And they were doing this. And there was many others. It was a constant and perpetual problem among the Jews. And they were diluting and destroying their Jewish culture by identifying with pagan believers. And, and this threatened their heart. As, as I mentioned in Solomon. And in time, many of these people turned from God as a result of marrying foreign wives. So in verse 12, it's a repeat of what God had already said many times. Consequences will come in ways practical and spiritual for those who disregard my wishes in marrying unbelievers or pagan people. You follow me? In other words, you just say, I'm going to cut you off. I'm not going to honor your, I'm not going to accept your, your, your worship anymore. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to accept your sacrifices. I'm going to cut them off. So, verse 13, <laughs> this is what he's saying. So, you, look up here for a second. He's saying, you can come cry on my altar all the crocodile tears you want to, but I'm not taking it. I'm just wearied of that. You go out there in the world and you live like that, and then you come in here on Sunday and you fall at the altar, you know, and you get down here on your knees and you, you know, you, you make a big scene. And we don't, that's not really a big deal, you know, in our movement. There are other churches who did every Sunday. They go live like the world and they come in here and they weep and howl and wail, and they go back out there and live like the devil again. And God's saying, won't work, not moved by that. It's not going to fix anything. Tears minus repentance mean nothing to God. Just doesn't mean anything to him. And so, you know, that's, that's what he's saying. And they're complaining, well, you, why aren't you accepting our sacrifice? Well, well, because you're living like the world. You can go through all the motions of worship, but if you walk with the world, I'm not going to receive it. So, in protest in verse 14, <laughs> being true to the nature, they ask God specifically. Well, okay, like he's been clear, but they ask anyway. Where have we, wherefore have we done wrong? So Malachi, in graciousness, and God replies with specificity. He says, You have acted treacherously and abominably towards me by acting um, in a treacherous way with your wives. And he's decided the wives of your youth. I might say this your first wife. See, what these men were doing, even days of Malachi, is they were treating their wives with contempt. And in their mind, if something better came along, they just dismissed them. And it was really a plague upon Judaism for centuries. And so they were divorcing their Jewish wives to marry pagan wives. That's what they were doing. And um, there's implications here in the language of even, even having maybe hints of domestic violence. You're acting violently with your wives. You're not, you're not being gracious with them. You're not loving them. There's, your homes are messed up. You're divorcing them arbitrarily, um, just at a whim. This is all through the Old Testament. And there's this hint of possibly even domestic violence. And God finds that abhorrent and treacherous. God is saying, what you're doing is incredulous. It's unthinkable. And it's unacceptable. Everybody look up here. How can you treat your life companion with so little kindness and respect. Okay. Now, I'm not talking to the Jews anymore. I'm talking to us. And we can wear this, both, everyone can wear the shoes tonight. Is he and she not the spouse of your youth? Not the person that you have loved 
you're supposed to have loved all these years? How can you talk to them that way? How can you be hateful? How, how could you rise to the place of violence? How could you just dismiss them like that? Violence in the home is always treachery. It's a destructive force. I'll move to say this a little bit different. I'll get ahead of myself. Divorce is violence, is the idea in the text. Now think about that. Divorce is violence. Well, I'm not hitting anyone. It's violence. It's the ripping apart of something God put together. And the casualty has far more reaching consequences than these men were realizing. It's violence. In verse 15, Malachi argues God's intent in marriage. It was to be marriage something that reflected their covenant relationship with God. The marriage was put together, a unity was formed between a man and his wife that was supposed to be indissolvable and an inseparable type of covenant. Now look, at, look, I know you're looking, but I want you to get this. And the beauty, the beauty of that marriage was supposed to produce a godly seed. What is a godly seed? Children. Does that make just sense? Not only does divorce do violence to what God put together, and I'll get this moment, not only does divorce do violence to the hearts of people involved, but you're doing violence to the next generation of people. You are ripping apart the fabric of the society and community that I'm trying to put together for the long-term longevity and perpetual nature of the faith in God. It's violence to everything that God holds sacred. This is not my intent. There is no more beauty in your marriage. You are destroying it. It's hard to produce a godly seed without a godly home. It can be done by the grace of God, but it's not God's way. And you're not doing this. So God says, it just makes sense, take heed. Take heed. Take heed to your spirit. If you have, a, you have a, a residue of the spirit in you, then take heed. Let God speak to you on this. Stop. What, it, makes, it is utter treachery for you to, to, to divorce your first wife and to go marry, of all people, some pagan woman, and it can be vice versa today, but this was the way it worked then, to go marry someone who doesn't even, whose God is someone other than me. That's, that's just so utterly contemptible in terms of the relationship you have with not just the wife, but with me. You're treating me lightly. You're treating her lightly. You're treating your family lightly. You're treating the godly seed that I want lightly. It's treacherous, and it's an abominable thing you're doing. Verse 16, God's saying, don't do that which I hate. That's what he's saying. Consider it. Reflect on it. Get it. Don't do that which I hate. I hate evil. I hate violence. I hate treacherous oath, uh, people who break their oaths and promises. And you're breaking the bonds of relationship that God holds sacred. In view specifically was marital violence. But I want you to get this. In broader application and context, all injustices, all, evids, all evil spirited behavior between you and anyone else is treachery. Between any of us. That's really the, that's really the big idea. This is the, this is the application. Jerry, for you and I not to get along is, is, is a treachery. Greg, for you and I to have a problem that's ongoing and not get it right is treachery. It's an abomination. I know God, you know God, we love Him. There's grace here. 
us getting along honors Him. It's not just about you and me. It's a bigger picture. It's a bigger, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than your individual quibble with someone. Forgive me, stop being so narrow-minded, petty, and self-centered. There's a God in view here. There's, there's, there's people who are watching us, a, a godly seed and a, a watching world. So Malachi cries out, stop it. Understand the consequences for you, for your wife, for your children, for the culture, for our church. In your relationship with me, God, all these are being damaged in your behavior. Have a bigger perspective. And so he ties this again together into homes and just our general treatment to one another. We can't say we love God when we don't love people. We can't say we love God if we won't love our husbands and won't love our wives and won't love our children enough to make some hard decisions. When people are really close to us, we've made promises to them. Keep them. Like brothers and sisters would, or are supposed to. Like husbands and wives are supposed to. Like parents and children are supposed to. There's no place for treachery among God's people, because that's an abomination to God. Jesus spoke plainly about this. Take your Bible, turn to, or you can just listen to me, Matthew chapter 5, a few pages over. And I'm going at the root of this, not the specific application in the text, but the root of what is being said here. Because we need to get this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount. He's elevating his expectation among his followers to be bigger than the law. And in verse 21, here's what he says. He said, You have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, now that clause is important, and I'll get that to in a moment, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or thou fool, shall be in danger of the counsel. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, God was not accepting the gifts of the altar in Malachi's day. And there rememberest that, thou, that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift, because then I'll receive it. And things right between you and others. Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him. Listen, at any time that adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say to thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence until thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. You'll pay a price with God and others when, you don't, when you're not right with others, is the point. Micah, a fellow minor prophet, echoed the same sentiment in large. He has, showed thee, oh, he has showed thee, O man, what is good and what the, that the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, meaning between you and me, and to love mercy between you and me, and to walk humbly with our God. I don't have time tonight, but also I can reference you to Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives. Because a failure to do so is treachery. It's abomination. The largest idea of you in the text is that sometimes our marriages have the absence of a positive that God expects. And that's love. And that's grace. And that's kindness and goodness and mercy. There's the absence. God forbid there be a presence of the negative and hatefulness and deceit and unfaithfulness and violence. God forbid. And violence isn't just this. Oh, you can kill somebody with the tongue. 
and you can kill them with neglect. All of it's treachery. We can't forfeit those things and be right with God. It's violence. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 lists the six things that God has chosen to articulate to you and me that He hates the most. And one of those is he that soweth discord among the brethren. Because don't we have one Father and one Creator? And how could we possibly honor God and not treat each other with respect? And God hates that. It's a big deal. Of course, minutely, or I should say under the microscope what's in view here is the violation of God's design for marriage. And his hurt and anger felt by their arbitrary divorce. The divorce in view here was an irresponsible divorce that was forsaking its obligation to love. And God hated it because it was capricious. It was destructive. It was arbitrary. It was for sure, in this day, Malachi's, without a cause. God informs us that God hates this because the hurt that it does, the violence to ourselves, to Him, our wives, our children, and culture. Now, I need you to, again, I want to make sure you get the backdrop to make this contextual. In the backdrop of this discussion, you can go and read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And I think specifically, Ezra probably, Nehemiah chapter 10, rather, I think, there's a whole chapter dedicated to this. Because the specific divorce, I don't want to make this broader than the the Word of God intends it, the divorce that Malachi is speaking about and that Ezra and Nehemiah were dealing with primarily was this, is I was marrying a Christian wife to go marry a pagan one. And God says the divorce between me and Terry for a lost woman is wrong. Okay, That's, that's the divorce that's primarily in view here. You with me? Okay. I'm not trying to be comprehensive tonight. I just don't have time for that. But that's the larger context in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Malachi. Jewish men were divorced their wives in order to marry pagan women. And Malachi, like Ezra and Nehemiah, told them to stop. Now, often, I'll just be direct. Often when people come to these subjects, they would like for me to deal with this technically. And I understand that that's our nature. Is it wrong to divorce someone under every circumstance? I am not going to answer that question. That's to me foolish. Well, what about this and what about that? You know, I, I, I have some discomfort with those conversations. And I, and, and I understand there are some cases that's a legitimate question. That's not in view in our text. Because I think sometimes when we get technical, we're focusing on the wrong question. The right question is this, what does God want? Not what is allowed. What's God's desire? What's His intent? What are my obligations? What are my responsibilities? In Ezra and Nehemiah's time, I'm going to show you how thorny this can be. In Ezra and Nehemiah's day, the men who married foreign wives were told to divorce them. They were. Put them away. It's very clear in the text. Purify yourselves. You, you may divorce them. Moses had caveats for divorce. Paul describes the circumstances where an unbeliever, an unbeliever should just be let go. And then the believer who remained in that divorce situation would be without blame. Joseph, upon hearing thinking that his wife acted inappropriately, was acting in accordance to the laws of his land in that time, and was going to put Mary away. Until what? Until the angel corrected him. Okay. Okay. I'm not making any pointer than this. Be really careful about being overly technical. Now, I could go on, but sometimes issues like this are not as simplistic as we want them on the technical side. Okay? On the technical side. Because the hardest of heart of humanity, sometimes people can be without recourse. Or maybe they have recourse. And that's between them and God. They're going to be judged by Him one day. 
And there are circumstances where all of us men who might have daughters in an abusive situation, if we're not careful, could change our theology in a, in, in very quickly if we weren't thoughtful. I'm not being wishy-washy. Are we okay? I'm telling you, you have to use your brain. There are people who are forced, in my opinion, to make some very uncomfortable circumstances because of treachery and violence. So here's, let's do this instead. Let's follow what the text says. Let's focus on what the Bible does say. Here's what I do feel comfortable saying tonight with authority from the Word of God. God hates the destructive consequences of divorce. How about that? God hates it. He hates the destructive consequences, the treachery, the abomination of divorce. Divorce is equivalent to a violent act. It hurts deeply. It destroys. It dilutes. It pollutes. If we're not careful, our hearts, the hearts of others, and our relationship with God. I am a child of divorce. So I'm not totally clueless here. I am a child of divorce. Can I say to you, it is violent. It's ugly. And I'm 58, and I still feel its consequences. I can attest that it is a form of violence. It tears up things that are meant to be together. It hurts almost everything it touches. Here's what I did. I made a choice to learn from it. I, uh, victims really not for me. It's not nobility. Just forgive me. Why be stupid? Just to go down the path. So at 19 years old, I knew what I wanted. I was going to find a lady who loved the Lord. And I was going to have a Waltons kind of family. And I was going to say, I love you, John Boy, to somebody. You know, I was going to do it. I'm not kidding. That's how I felt at 19. Because at 17 and 18, I watched the treachery, the violence of divorce. It sting doesn't go away. It's muted, but it's present. It's violent what it does to children. If we're not careful, it's violent what it can do to our heart with God. I could read you tonight stories and stats and anecdotes and studies on the subject. That's not my intent. I'm going to say to people here, and all of you are, who have an honest intellectual capacity to see the obvious, it's a form of violence that under almost every circumstance, and there's some that you can't, should be avoided. Is that fair? You get the heart of it, right? Okay, once you get the heart of that. These men of this day were being abhorrent. They were violating their promise to God, and they were violating their oath to their wives. When we speak of di divorce with no scriptural warrant, we are treacherous and covenant breakers. And I, I want to stop because I just I always get my I feel like I'm always gonna be in trouble here. I want to say treachery includes any form of hurt, evil, meanness, or abuse that we might extend to each other, even when we are married. Look up here. Don't be mean to each other. That's treachery. You are wrong to be mean and unkind to one another. You're wrong. Don't do it in your homes. Don't do it in here. It's violence. You can be married and treacherous. When you said, I do, you weren't agreeing just to be married. You were agreeing not to be treacherous, but to love the people 
that you are claiming is closest to you. You are promising to love them. Don't treat your life companion with violence in word or deed. Don't physically, emotionally, spiritually, socially, verbally abuse them. It's wrong. And that person may believe that's a form of hardness of heart they can't live with. And that's between them and the Lord. I'm trying to make a situation <laughs> what we were supposed to do. Being angry in the home is uh, it's just wrong. I could go on, but I'm. First Timothy five eight says this. But if any man provide, this is this is big. If any man provide not for his own, and, spe- and especially for those of his own house, <laughs> he hath denied the faith. We could probably transliterate that word. The Old Testament has acted treacherously. He's being an oath breaker. And is worse than an infidel. In the, in the context of that chapter, he's primarily talking about me not taking care of my parents. I mean that like me as an adult child not taking care of my senior parents. In God's mind, for a child, the, the word provide for has the idea of looking forward to, partly. A man who's not thinking about one day taking care of his parents, well, infidels don't do that either, but you're supposed to. You're supposed to take care. That's the context of this, the, that actual quote, but there's a larger application here. We tend to make that for a man who won't work. It's fine, it, it fits. But the idea here, the word provide in the Greek means this, to not look out for. That encompasses a thought much larger than money. My job is to look out for my family's welfare. My job is to look out for my wife's emotional health. It's my job to look out for my kids' moral upbringing. It's my job to look out for everything that concerns my family. And look here, in a broader t- context, it's my, you're my family. For me to fail to provide for you. Well, infidels don't do that, but I'm supposed to. And a failure there, it's, it's treachery. It's my job to provide kindness. It's my job to provide goodness. It's my job to provide emotional support. It's my job to provide education, Christian education, moral upbringing for my children. It's my job to to deny myself for their advancement and betterment, not just put a paycheck on the table. And if I don't, well, I'm a promise breaker. And that's no good. I'm sorry to bring Sunday morning's uh, habits into Wednesday night. Finally, <laughs> marriage is super sacred. Treat it like that. So, young people, clue in and listen to me. Like, it's just, and I mean that as soberly as I can say it. Don't you ever, 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 don't you ever marry someone who's not a believer. I don't know how to be more clear than that. But he's good looking. Don't. She's so pretty. She's so nice. Don't. But they're kind. Don't. I don't know how to be more clear. Do not be unequally yoked. Light has no place with darkness. Now, good luck finding a perfect one. You're not. But don't marry an unbeliever. Can I have all the parents amen for that? Don't. 
I, don't, I, don't, I, I just want to make sure that I leave here tonight pressing that to the point of redundancy. Never, ever, under no circumstances. Don't ever do it. 2 Corinthians 6, 4. We are not to be unequally yoked. Look here. That's not about skin color. That's not about race. That's not about ethnicity. It's about ideology. It's about philosophy. And it's most of all about faith. And I'll say this. The closer you can be yoked, the better. And that doesn't mean someone who's perfect. But it means this. The, the, the per, if you can find someone who loves the Lord the most, that's the best choice for you. Because they will, they will grow and learn in time to be what you need. They won't be perfect. We're, we all good with that? Okay. And now I've got to have a conclusionary statement. In all of our relationships, because I know who I'm, I'm speaking to tonight. In all of our relationships, let's not focus so much on where we've been, but where we're going. There's a lot of people here tonight who've been divorced. There's people here remarried. And like me, you know divorce is violence. You understand hardness of heart. And there's some sympathy and empathy there. And also, if you're here tonight, you've also, God help me, like me, have learned to do better, to avoid that hurt in our choices, in our behavior. You know something that I've, I've seen here? Eastland Baptist Church has numerous couples like this. And some of these couples represent, today, some of the happiest, best marriages we have. But there's also been casualty and hurt. Is that fair? I'm so grateful for God's grace and His mercy. And there is no condemnation. Matter of fact, you'd be wise to listen. Not to me, to some of these stories. Here's, here, here's where... Here's where some have been. They've seen enough of the negative to learn to embrace the positive. And there's some married people here who haven't learned to do that yet. And you need to, because it's dangerous not to. And living in a treacherous way is dangerous. And I'm grateful that God's mercy has been new. And some of these people have embraced the positive in the way some of us others need to learn to do. Like in our text, harsh words here are leveled at offenders. I just want to say, be careful in judging. Let's not be infidels. Let's not be oath breakers. Let's not be treacherous. Let's not commit abominable acts. Um, they will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. So, love your children, truly. Truly love your wives. And let's love each other. Stand. <laughs>